You're listening to the Project Horse Podcast. Horse training tips, Q&A, and horse business commentary from Jake and Luke of Lundahl Performance. New episodes go live every Friday with extras content throughout the week. To submit a training topic or question, hit us up on Facebook or email lundahlperformance at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Thank you for joining us for episode nine of the Project Horse podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl, joined here with my brother Luke. Today we're going to be breaking down a couple different topics to start off with a Facebook Q&A question about bridling a head-shy horse. Then we're going to get into part one of a multi-part series we're going to do over the next couple episodes about Advanced Horsemanship 101 and how you start that transition between the lateral flexion and the foundation of lateral softness and quietness and just miles under the feet that you've established in a horse's foundation, how do you take that and start moving forward into an, into an advanced frame of mind? How do you start getting a little bit more control, a little bit more finesse? We're going to talk about a couple different exercises, quite a few, in fact, over the next few episodes that are kind of like icebreakers for breaking out of that foundation or fundamental mode of training on into more advancement. So to start with today in this segment, part one, we're going to talk a lot about our views on straightness and collection. We're going to talk about a couple different exercises, but first we're going to talk about bridling a head shy horse and how to approach just problems with bridling in general and head shyness surrounding bridling. So when dealing with this issue, it's it's kind of helpful to think about it in terms of being, you know, there's two sides to the same coin here, whether it's legitimate head shyness and the horse is actually fearful about not just the bridle, but just your hands, things moving around their head in general, versus them just trying to avoid the bridle. Now, ultimately, the way you approach to tackling those issues is kind of the same. Um, But it's important to always approach a bridling issue, at least initially, as if it is a fear-based issue and rule that out. So we're not going to go too much into detail because I've posted a full article on our Facebook page in the notes section that talks about the desensitizing part of this equation. Like, what we're going to talk about from here on out is assuming you have some sort of a groundwork program in place. You've done your homework with desensitizing other areas of the horse's body. And you've also done your homework with desensitizing around the horse's face so they can be touched and handled in general. And now you're ready to prepare for the bridle. Um, or you, you are ready to start using the bridle. Um, that you've, you've put all those problems to bed. If you have not, you have to go back to that square one, and we're not going to harp on that too much in this segment. But we did post an article on Facebook, so I'd encourage you to check that out if, you know, and at least glance through it. And if the horse, if, if the type of issues being described in it fits your horse, start there. In fact, you should, you should start just through desensitizing in general, and then get into the bridle, but kind of follow the same approach and retreat method, ultimately. Um, so Luke, uh, how would you, like, somebody comes up to you, obviously I'm playing devil's advocate here, 
uh, and they, they throw this question at you like, well, you know, my horse won't accept the bridle. I don't know what to do. What's probably the first thing that comes to your mind is, is probably bad habits, right? As a general, yes. Um, because no, no horse is really born with a bridling issue that really comes down to, um, just overall, just being kind of, you know, I hate to say this, but almost just kind of sloppy with your bridling. Like a lot of people look at it as a job, like, Oh, you, you have to get the bridle on so I can go ride it. Riding it is when I'm actually going to train on it. And the bridling, I just have to get that done so I can get on and ride. And that's really not the case. Everything that you do and that's the hard part about horses. It's not like a car where if you're not physically driving the car, you're not putting miles on the car or, you know, wearing out the equipment, whatever. Like when any time that you're around the horse, even when you're not working it, if I'm cleaning its stall, even anytime you're around it, that horse is is either learning good habits or bad habits. And a lot of the time with the bridle, it's just a accumulation of of just sloppiness and poor habits about bridling the horse letting the horse turn and look away from you or just looking straight or ignoring the horse if he kind of roots his nose out as you put the bridle and just little things like that it's like every time you interact with him whatever it is that you're doing with him grooming him cleaning his stall bathing him bridling him whatever it's like you have two bank accounts you have the bank account of a good habit, which is like putting money in your bank account, or you have the bank account of bad habits, which is like putting money in the horse's account. And it's like very small sum. It's like a quarter or a dollar. But every time that you, let's say you bridle your horse and you make sure that he has his nose tipped towards you, congratulations, you just put a dollar in your account into the good habit account. But if you ignore it and as the horse is turning to look at something that's passing him and he turns away from you and you just ignore it and put the bridle in his mouth and you kind of like lean forward and stretch out there to go with him and get it up there and done up and so you can get on the ride well you've just deposited a dollar in his bank account the bank account of bad habits and over time those bank accounts just with those little deposits it's it's a war of attrition in a way it's like the the cliche, you know, drop of water on the rock. Same thing. It's just over time that accumulates, and pretty soon you've got a bank account that's bulging at the seams. And you, you hope that it's yours, but a lot of people just ignore all the small stuff, and all they care about is what the horse does when they're riding it. And then all of a sudden they wonder why the horse's bank account is bursting at the seams, and they're buying up everything, and yeah. they don't have anything. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it that way, it's it's pretty obvious why bridling would become an issue. Either, you know, when you initially started bridling this horse early on in its career, or if not you, somebody else, and they were sloppy about it, they weren't disciplined about making that horse tip its nose towards you, lower its head, relax, and then methodical about that bridling process. If they let it, for example, as soon as the bit passed over the horse's teeth and it jerked its nose up, rather than maintaining that position there and not just ripping the bridle on all the way or taking it away. They held it there, brought the horse's nose back to them, kind of cradled his head there, waited until he relaxed, took it away. Go up to that point again. He reacts a little bit, hold it, maintain that. He relaxes, take it away. Approach and retreat until that little spot is gone. 
you know, if, if somebody didn't do that and they just passed the bridle through that horse's mouth once and he jerked his nose up and they did nothing about it, now you've planted that little seed and it's now going to germinate and just, even if you don't do anything actively to make it worse, if you don't correct it, it will just naturally grow over time and get worse and worse because it becomes more and more of an ingrained habit or... You know, so that's one thing. Either you planted that that bad habit and that seed grew up into a tree over time, and now it's real bad, or you made it worse. And this is a this is not as common, but what we often see with bridling issues is that, you know, or just head shyness or desensitizing in general. That horse has kind of an oh no spot there, where they they are prone to reacting whatever the stimulus or whatever you're doing. Um, and the person is like, oh, you don't like the bridle? Well, you're going like, to learn the day, to, to borrow a phrase <laughs> yes. from Kevin Hart. You're going to learn the day. They, they start forcing their hand way too soon and way too aggressively to where that horse really recoils because now their instinct as a prey animal is to recoil even further. And the more aggressively you try to touch the spot on that ear or flap the plastic bag by their flank or put that bridle in that mouth and get her done right there. The more aggressively and intensively you go for it, the more they will deny you it. And, and then the problem spirals and spirals. So we often see the products of one of two causes, either just bad habits that have been left to metastasize, even though you haven't been making it worse, they've just grown organically on their own and gotten worse as will happen if you don't address it, or people have actively made it worse by making an issue out of it. I don't even know what that word means. But anyways, moving on from that. What? <laughs> We're moving on. Um, but yes, I think that like you like you meant to go back to it, because I really want to hammer this point home, um, that I think it's really important that people understand, is that when it comes down to making an issue of it and having a long-term mindset, because that's something that I, that was probably the biggest thing that I struggled with. And a lot of people do is wanting it done. Now we see a problem in human nature is we see a problem. We want to fix that problem and move on. And it just doesn't work that way for horses. You need to have a long-term mindset. It wasn't, the problem wasn't created in a day. It's not going to be fixed in a day. And Going back to, you know, one of the my favorite things with bridling a horse or one of the biggest things that I look for and that I see as success is when I have that bridle and I'm holding the top of it in between the horse's ears and I have and I'm holding the the bit itself under that horse's chin and then I just take it away there. I don't try to open the horse's mouth. I don't take it a step further. I don't try and put the bridle actually I don't try and, you know, bring the bit up in between its lips, nothing. I just have it there under its chin, take it away. That to me is probably the biggest win or the biggest release of pressure that you can do bridling a horse. It has nothing to do with putting it in its mouth. Just showing that horse that I'm not here to work on bridling. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want, actually, I don't want you to have the bridle. Like that's really the almost the game you're trying to play in a way. And it's not really a game. It's just horsemanship, you know, a game that totally the wrong connotation that I'm trying to imply here. But it's not a game. It's it's understanding the way the horse ticks, understanding the way they think. And and I really want the horse to understand that I don't want you to have the bridle. No, give me back. This, this is my bit. This is my bridle. Let me have it back. And then pretty soon the horse is going to go from... No, why would I want this thing? Quit trying to force this down my throat to, wait a minute, why Why can't I have it? Why are you taking it away? 
wait a minute, hold on, bring that back here. I want to check that out. And yeah. you almost, you almost, you know, flip it on the horse in a way to where they're all of a sudden like, wait a minute, why can't I have it? Well, now they want what they couldn't have. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a hack into horse psychology that the more you try to force something on them, the more their instinct is to avoid that and really kind of clam up and, and try to avoid whatever that, in, you know, whatever that pressure is, whatever you're trying to exert onto them. But the more passive you are about it, and you're like, you know, kind of introducing it, approach and retreat, and, yeah, you know, I really didn't want to ram this in your mouth and just kind of want to set it there and then take it away, and, uh, you know, I'm just kind of just over here doing my thing, and you're really non-threatening about it, and you're kind of concealing your ambition in a way, because you really do want them to, to accept the bridle. That's ultimately the goal here, but you're, the, in the way that you're approaching this, and t- doing approach and retreat and working on this over chipping away at it over multiple sessions interspersed with your groundwork and other things that you're doing, you're doing it in a non-threatening sort of way where it kind of stimulates their, their it builds their confidence and kind of gets them curious in a, little, in a way like, well, hold on, what is this? You know, kind of like you were talking about where the more you ram something down their throat, the more they're going to recoil. The more you're kind of like, nah, you know, I, I really don't care about what I'm doing here, the more that, like, wait a minute, I want to, I want to investigate this a little bit, you know, like, no, this is my thing, you know, that's, that's exactly how their psychology is, like going out intently to catch a horse in a pin versus going out to work on the fence and you have no focus on them. And then they run over and they're all up in your business and sniffing your back pocket. It's exactly how this animal psychology works. So you have to, you have to use it to your advantage by kind of, like I said, kind of masking your ambition a little bit and chipping away at it, basically doing the opposite of our instinct as predators. And you kind of play into that prey animal psychology and not just overload them all in one sudden flooding session. All right, so for part one in our Advanced Horsemanship 101, we're going to kind of gloss over and give a quick summation of of our ideas about collection, because ultimately that's what we're talking about. We're going to finish off talking about an exercise that, that, uh, you know, kind of gets into this area of thought, and that's a good intermediate step between, you know, just the, the stereotypical lateral bending, lateral suppleness, lateral flexion, into getting to use some more outside rain, getting the horse's body straighter up underneath you, etc. Um, you know, basically doing your bending with some outside rain added, a little bit of vertical flexion added, driving up and driving them up into your hands, and how we use that at our last clinic. But uh, anyways, so just want to reiterate the fact of how important lateral flexion is in your foundation work. And Luke, you you put this pretty succinctly when we were talking prior to the podcast about how that's an essential first step in order to get any sort of collection, in order to do these more advanced things. They have to have a foundation, not only just being just broke, but mentally they have to be soft. They have to know how to accept pressure. And that's a sort of a, a tripping point that I think a lot of programs we've been exposed to fall prey to is that they don't lay that foundation and they set themselves up for big fights when they start moving the horse off their leg more dramatically or they go to drive the horse up into the bridle with two hands or they start using a lot of indirect rain and that horse has no idea of how to accept that pressure. They have no, they have no starting point, no reference point and they're just lost. Well, I think... This, the collection is, I think there's almost two camps. There's technically three. 
but the the middle camp, the perfect world, is like this unattainable paradise grounds that everyone is trying to get to, but no one has really gotten there yet. Or people have tasted it a little bit with a, maybe a several few really great horses, but no one has ever consistently stayed there. But we've really got kind of two camps, which is, and we you know we've gotten the benefit, I guess, to see kind of both of them. We have the Everything broke loose left and right. The horse never is balanced. They never have any sort of leverage. And almost in a way, they never get away from that. And it's always left, right, come here, you know, get off my hands, whatever. And then we've got the other camp, which is, no, don't, that that's the devil. You need to do this because this is what happens in the show pen. And everything is straight. You never pull them around to the side. You never take them off balance. You never, you know, if it doesn't, you don't want to teach the, like, you know, we talked about this, I think, in the first or second podcast about uh, a friend of mine was told by by a, a guy at a horse show one time. He watched him rise. like, yeah, I like a lot of things you're doing, but just be careful because he was working on a lot of, like, hindquarter control. And the guy said, yeah, I, I like a lot of things that you're doing there, but just be careful that you, you don't want to teach that horse something that you don't want him to know. And what he meant by that was, you never yield a horse's hindquarters or disengage their hindquarters in the show pen. So you don't want to teach that horse that particular maneuver because, I don't know, what, if he, I guess if the horse accidentally disengages his hindquarters on the middle of his fast circle, I don't, I don't know exactly why. But that is the school of thought. So there are two different ones. And again, we're, we can, all we can do is offer our thoughts and what we like to do, but there, there is no my way is the highway type thing. This is just our experience, what we've seen, and what we yeah. think works, and what works best. But there's two kind of divided camps here. There's the ones that stay away from all the left and right, and they think that hinders the horse, and it trains the, the try out of them. And then we've got the other camp, which says, avoid all the fights and the running around wildly, leaping through the air, and, and these epic battles by teaching this horse how to soften mentally and breaking loose the mental resistance and barriers. Yeah. I think the biggest the biggest hang-up we've seen in trying to find a balance, because the best, in our opinion, two-year-old and cult starting programs that we've been around and been associated with use a lot of lateral flexion. They're very methodical in preparing the horse, teaching them how to disengage their hindquarters, you know, move off your leg, etc. Very early on, soften off of your hands, etc. But then the big hang-up becomes, how do you transition from a mindset of the horse getting off of pressure to one that is accepting of pressure and, and will let you take a hold of them and maintain contact and that they let you put them in a position or a frame or, or they allow you to pick up and take them somewhere, but they're not looking to hide and duck off the pressure. That's the biggest hang up and that's why the people in the other camp who don't like the lateral softness that's their issue is they they see that as teaching the horse to hide from the pressure exactly exactly and i think in that camp that you just mentioned there the one that doesn't believe in the left and right and the softness their biggest hang up is that you can't take a hold of them and ask for more or a deeper level of softness like the horse goes around and looks super pretty and looks super sweet but then you watch that horse at home or somebody else gets on it and they ask the horse for more 
and the horse totally just loses it. It's completely blows its mental switchboard and the horse flips its head upside down, goes leaping through the air, galloping around the arena because everything they had up to that point was fake. So there's like, there's a, a plus and negative to both. And you know, the definitely the, the knock against the people that go left and right is, Oh, you just, you train the, the try out of the horse and now you can never take hold of his face because he's disappearing off your hands. But then we've got the other side where it's it looks super pretty, but then you try to take a hold of it and the horse is like, what is this? And completely loses it and freaks out yeah. and will not handle pressure. That they just completely fall apart. Exactly. Yes. And they're like walking on eggshells to train this horse because it has no concept of handling pressure. Exactly. What And in our trying to narrow and war game out how we bring a balance of these two because they both have great things to offer but that middle ground like you said is kind of the mythical area that people want to get to nobody's really cracked the code on it but i think one component of the equation uh to getting there is thinking about the lateral suppleness and that area of foundation as sort of a stepping stone that it's kind of like in a video game, you know, where you get to those levels where you have to go across this little bridge of stepping stones, but then they disappear as soon as you touch on them. That's kind of how you have to think about the softness is that when you're going on the way up, you need to get to a point where they are soft enough. They are confident enough about, you know, you putting pressure on them and they are broke loose enough and soft enough to then go to that next level. So you can, you can take that next step use it as a stepping stone. But if you stay there too long, if you drill on that too hard, you actually start hurting yourself and that, that stepping stone disappears right out from underneath you and becomes a hindrance, in other words. And we've seen that. Right. Well, it's like a quote that I just saw the other day. It was totally unrelated to horsemanship, but it was something along the lines of doing what got you there will not get you to the next level. Exactly. And that's the same thing like we we see all the time on both ends like we see it a lot with the camp that doesn't want to have a lot of left and right and brokenness. We see a lot of um especially 2-year-olds that have just a terrible foundation. They're chronically running off. They will not handle pressure. Um, horses that are are rearing up. I, I've never seen so many horses with rearing problems before. And then we go to the other camp, and they usually run into problems when the horse is like a three-year-old, um, where they continue to stay with the left, right, get off my hands, soften art. They're constantly like checking, are you still soft? Are you still soft? And then when that horse, they have an, a, a phenomenal two-year-old year, like amazing. And then they get to about the three-year-old year, and or not not so much three-year-old year but the second year of training really so if they started them as a four-year-old or a three-year-old or whatever the second year of training well now all of a sudden they can't lope the horse in a straight line the mm-hmm. thing is like a, a worm on crack it's just all over the place wiggly and and just over anticipatory they're like left right left right up down where, where do i need to be and you know as soon as the horse feels the rider pick up they're like oh you can't feel me i'm not there well you and know. what adds fuel to that fire is that in a lot of those programs if the horse is anticipating left and right the answer is bend them around laterally 
supple, soft and right. supple them and hustle their feet left and right. So you get these horses that are wiggling and wobbling all over the place like, oh, my God, I, they're just hiding and ducking and diving all of their body, not just their head and neck, but they're they're masters at just disappearing their ribs and shoulders and dive bombing their hip and shoulder in and out of circles. And they're just they're constantly looking for ways to escape life. That's what you get to ultimately. Right. And that's not to say that, you know, the the super wiggly left, right, and that type of thing doesn't create problems at a younger age. There are there are people that take it to the extreme and they get a horse burnt out at a young age from going so overboard with when I pull you give, well you better soften. Are you are you really soft? Are you truly soft? And they constantly double check that. But coming back the other way now, that's not to say that ignoring all of that and only working on the straight and just a maneuver that's not to say that after a really rocky and rough two-year-old year it lines out the years prior no as a general rule it's kind of the luck of the draw and the really good horses they make the cut but then the rest of them develop some incredible bad habits where they're they're now a pro at leaping through the air or getting the angle and running off or what like they're a pro at grabbing the bridle and escaping or rearing up or they develop habits of flipping over backwards like they're both of them have terrible bad things at a young age or at an older age so it's not like one is immune and the other is as well exactly i think the the best way though to move forward and and start thinking about how you create a good balance though is that you go from what we call peak lateral, meaning in a world, that's a term I invented just now, in fact, (laughs) of basically getting a baseline of acceptable levels of softness and control with a lot of your lateral flexion. That means flexing at the standstill. You're able to bend the horse around, jog them around, bent laterally around to your toe. They, you know, are pretty good about getting that rib cage off of your inside leg. You're able to yield their hindquarters on a 360 degree circle. Uh, while keeping their front end still, you're able to do basic bending and yield the hindquarters uh, transitions. Um, you you have that foundation established, and you can do other things as well, but those are like the core pillars of what really defines softness with just the inside rein, inside leg, move off my inside leg type of a, a mindset. And it's not body and, softness so much as you're getting mental softness. When you're taking them laterally like that, you have taken away the horse's um, leverage against you, and you have proven to him that even though you're not physically stronger, in his mind you are. And so you break loose that mental resistance, which is, I, you know, for me personally, super important. I would rather that than just immediately start out straight and just tiptoe on eggshells and try not to provoke a problem, but rather teach the horse good mental habits. Exactly. But once you have that established, you then need to transition pretty soon. Um, Not saying you skip your homework and you don't get that lateral well-established. That's something I want to hammer home is we, we, you don't, you know, drill on it incessantly, but you need to spend a good six to eight months in that mode to get a horse's foundation really well-established. But then you need to transition and you need to start doing exercises that take that lateral, but then add a further awareness of straightness and just body position in general underneath you. Um, and one, uh, so let me just back up here and just describe, you know, when we talk about collection and how to, how to start developing that in a young horse, what we're really talking about, I think it's a good term is, is to call it balance. Well, because like you said, straightness and body position. 
that's it's basically balance. balance. You're putting exactly. the horse in a balanced position. We don't like the term collection so much because, you know, that's a manufactured term. That's what that sounds. It sounds manufactured. Well, what it what it brings up in for a lot of western riders, it brings up the mental image of you just, you know, bridling the horse up and getting vertical flexion on them, pulling their face in towards you and getting them to to draw in and lower their head and neck you know, lower their chin down to your chest. That's not collection. Having a horse bridled up is not collection. Driving them into a position and holding them there yeah. is not collection. No, but, you know, so we we like to use the term balance because it really is a way to think about what's what's actually going on in the horse's body, especially in their rib cage and hindquarters where a lot of problems start from, whether it's the turnaround, etc. So, you know, again... Uh, not we're not such a big fan of the term collection although that's what we really mean when we say it yes is kind of this all-encompassing sense of balance and again and terms like a lot of people love to debate on forums about terminology yes you know at the end of the day like we're trying to use balance as a way to create a mental picture but at the end of the day it's it's call it what you will it's completely pointless if we call it balance if we called it um, a candy bar. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's you have to go out there and do it, and it's a matter of getting your horse broke loose, creating good mental habits, teaching that horse that when you pick up, that he needs to soften, and then when you turn him loose, once you've got that horse truly soft, when you turn loose, he's going to naturally fall into whatever position is most comfortable for him yes. to be in. So if you're if you're new to this and you're saying, okay, well. You know, what what goes into a balanced horse and, and just trying to get into more of that mindset have. And again, we can't sit down and give you exact terms that are just going to make the light bulb click. These are things you have to try to make yourself aware of as you're riding and think about ways to try to develop that feel and develop the stuff with your horses. Even if they're not show horses, things like uh, one component of balance, and there's there's three main ones that we talk about. One being what some people call hindquarter push. I like to just call it impulsion. And a lot of people think of impulsion as speed, like, oh, you need to do impulsion exercises. You need to get that horse moved out. You need to get some impulsion. That doesn't mean that the horse is just running faster while flat-footed, you know. It means that they, they're actually driving off of that hind end. They feel more balanced on their hind end. And, and that goes into another thing that we talked about at our clinic, which is whether you're loping or you go to stop your horse, they need to learn how to use that hind end to balance on, not just pitching everything over onto their front feet all the time and being heavy on the front end. So that's one component of it. Second would be lift, whether we're talking about ribs. So that's one part of quote-unquote collection or or really getting a horse bridled up well is that you, you use your legs to elevate that horse's rib cage and round out their back. Or when we talk about lift or elevating the shoulder, you know, a lot of bad habits that develop from from too much lateral softness is that the horse either wants to completely leave the outside of a circle with their shoulder or ribs, or they want to dive bomb the shoulder in, or they want to roll that rib cage over like a crocodile doing a death roll in a mud pit. You know, that when we talk about lift, it means elevating and carrying the horse's body with a little bit of integrity. Now that plays into the hindquarters as well, but it's it's helpful to understand that there's a little bit of separation. That's what we mean by elevate the shoulder. It means pick yourself up, stand up, use some athleticism. Don't just pitch and roll 
you know, like a, like a paper airplane on the breeze, you know, have some integrity through your body. And that plays into the final component, which would be straightness in general through their body. You know, people say terms all the time, like have that horse up underneath you, not sagging or, you know, hanging anything to the outside. Like I just described, stay in between your legs, exactly between your reins and your legs. So the best icebreaker exercise we found that worked extremely well during our clinic is when we took our regular lateral bending transitions at the walk and then at the jog, especially at the jog. And yes, start definitely at the jog. And then as a as a transition down from the lope to the jog is we started introducing more outside rain and getting people to be aware of, you know, I'm, I'm taking a hold and maintaining contact with that horse's mouth. I'm not just pulling him around and letting him follow his nose like a toy train set, just pulling him around by the nose with my inside rain. I'm picking up with both. I'm tipping the nose to the inside. I'm, I'm more or less kind of drawing the nose into the inside point of the horse's shoulder instead of pulling his nose around to my toe. And I'm having to use outside leg now to drive that horse forward using both legs, but now more outside leg to drive the horse forward, maintain forward motion, maintain some impulsion as I soften him and drive him up into his face right there and not allow those ribs or that shoulder or the hips to just leave to the outside. Because it's a a new experience for that horse. If all you're doing is pulling him around your toe all the time, the body just kind of follows it like a like a train almost it just you know it just has to follow it there's only one place it can go as you let that nose come out a little bit more and straighten it up now all of a sudden the body has so many more places it can go the shoulder can be out the 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 rib cage can be twisted you know like the steve Irwin. ah he's doing a bloody death roll you know it can be twisted up underneath of him and the hip can be to the inside or to the outside of the circle whatever like it's amazing where they can go with their body and so you have to teach the horse that and you have to now show him how to track with his body a lot straighter and you have it's important to start doing that exercise so you can wean him off of always every time you touch the rein he thinks always come around to the side there comes a point where when you've proven to the horse that he has to soften all the way around to your toe once you've proven that and you've taught him that you don't need to make him prove it to you every single time you've got it now move use that to move on exactly you got to a point by breaking him loose like that now you got to put those body parts together in a nice straight cohesive unit underneath you and move the horse as one package and that's the whole point really of going left and right is to break loose the mental resistance so that when you do throw everything away and give him the leverage by going straight that he will say, okay, you've proven to me a billion times that if I give, you release. And so then once you do give him all the leverage and you straighten him up, that when you pull, there is no fight. There is no throw down. I'm lost. What do I do? He knows what to do and he softens because make no mistake. If, and again, if all you do is you have the mentality of, let's say, you know, riding a trail horse. Yeah. You're, you know, a lot of people we see that, that just want to ride and have fun. They don't get their horse to the point where it's so soft that it gets in the way. But if you have the desire to go and do some sort of a stock horse show or a little reining show or whatever, you have to straighten this horse up so you can do maneuvers that require like a lead change and change directions or a, a come around the end, turn and do a rundown and stop. You need that horse straight underneath of you. And so you have to get away from the left, right, left, right mentality 
and let everything come straight and let this horse just relax and line out underneath of you. Absolutely. So we're going to post a little bit on another article in addition to our bridling and head shy one, a little note about bending. You know, some people call it bending with vertical. I call it, you know, bending uh, and driving the horse up into their face, you know, using using more outside rein and more outside leg now as kind of the way that you transition the lateral into now this new phase that we're going into. So I'm going to post a little bit about that again in our notes section where we do a lot of Q&A on Facebook. Um, and we're going to be talking about more exercises as we go on. But if you want even further explanation, especially about things like two tracking and other stuff we're very big believers in, watch our latest Project Horse Series video that we just put up on YouTube. It's Project Horse Series video number three. It shows Tangle and she's kind of in that same intermediate stage where, you know, we're doing things, we're doing more dramatic transitions with her, some two tracking, etc. All right, that wraps things up for our show today. If you like the show, let us know, hit us up on Facebook and uh, again, check us out on YouTube. We've got a new Project Horse video posted there. See you next time. Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Horse podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.